This morning we have the privilege of being in the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John. We look forward to Easter, and we look back at Easter. And there's a reason for that. Have you ever had anyone come to you and say, Jesus is not God? Said to you that uh, he was just a man, or at best a prophet, but he is not God. I've often been asked over the years, what are the proof texts of Jesus' deity? And probably the most familiar and most powerful is the text we're going to look at here this morning. John chapter 1. We're going to look at the first three verses and verse 14 as well. In these verses, we find a message that is incredibly powerful. One that is incredibly practical. One that is very prophetical. I wish that were my outline this morning. Powerful, practical, prophetical. Kathy, write that down so I can use it again in the future. But it is one that is familiar. One that I trust that you already know and have perhaps even committed to memory. It begins in verse number one. In the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. Jump down to verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we behold his glory, the glory as of the, glo- of, as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The Gospels are the record that we have of the life and ministry of Christ. Now, I grant you that the vast majority of the texts concentrate on those three years of ministry. Three years of impacting the lives of people. We were reminded in our Sunday school class this morning that it is not the argument that is going to reach people for Christ. It is not the battle That is going to, or the debate that is going to reach people for Christ. What will reach people for Christ is the love of God. The fact that there is a life that has been changed, you as a child of God. Are you aware of the fact that your testimony is incredibly unique and is impossible to dispute? And your testimony is that which you can share. Quite often, and I'll say this again at the end of this message today, you are the only gospel that many people are going to see or hear. It's because of your life, because of your testimony, that many lives are touched and many doors are opened. You sit there with an amazed look on your face. But the reality is, it is God working in you and through you that oftentimes reaches people with the good news of Jesus Christ. The story of Easter. The Gospel of Matthew is one that talks about the kingship. That's the theme. The kingship of Christ. Mark is a a gospel that talks about Jesus as the servant. Luke talks about Jesus the man. And here in John we have Jesus the Savior. The Son of God. You're going to find it repeated 
many times throughout this gospel. In fact, the theme, the theme verse, if you will, the pivotal verse of this chapter, or this book, is chapter 20, verse 31, which I will share with you in a little bit. Most will point to John chapter 3, verse 16. And that is an incredibly important one. May I suggest that all of the verses are important? Not just 316, but many people learned that one. That was probably their very first memorized verse. For God so loved the world. I like to substitute my own name there. For God so loved Jim Howard. That he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. You know, I, I'm probably, I was going to say old school, old fashioned, but that's not right. I'm probably a blend of old school, new school. I'm of that generation. But I've found that oftentimes when I quote scripture, it's from the King James. Because that's usually the verses or the version that I, I learned them from. So forgive me if I come out with a, a believeth every now and again. Or knoweth ye of little faith. There are several things in this passage that I do want you to note. And the version that I am using today is a new King James. Verses 1 through 2, I want you to take note of the eternal word. The eternal word. And this, these two verses here are just chock full of biblical truth and doctrine that is worthy of our time to spend in learning it, understanding it, and communicating it to people who need to hear. The eternal word. In verse number one, in the beginning was the word. Now, where have we heard those words before? In the beginning. Genesis chapter one, verse one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There are a number of of Biblical truths that, that we need to make sure that we understand are pivotal in, in Christianity today. There are a lot of things that people will argue about theologically. Now, maybe you don't have theological arguments. Excuse me. Christians don't argue. Discussions. And, and we will, even among pastors, we will discuss a lot of different fine points in theology. But out there in the world today, there are a number of those major points that people love to dispute. The unsaved love to dispute. More specifically, that the devil has taken it upon himself to dispute. From Genesis chapter 3 on, the devil has been disputing God's truth, has he not? He has created in the, the mind and the heart and the understanding of Adam and Eve doubt. And then all the problems that came down through history as a result of that. But some of the pivotal doctrines that we need to hang on to is back there in Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created. Creation itself is one of the foundational truths of Christianity that we must take a stand on. It is not open for discussion in the sense that it is negotiable. Did God create the heavens and the earth in seven literal days? Well, actually, it was six literal days, wasn't it? Seventh day, he rested. If he didn't, then why bother with the rest of what follows? Is Jesus 
God. Was Jesus virgin born? These are pivotal, 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 pivotal doctrines that we must hang our hats on and defend to the wall. Because this is what God has said. In John chapter 1, verse 1 and following, we find the deity of Christ. In the beginning was the Word. We have the understanding here of the pre-existence of who God is, or who Jesus is. Back in Proverbs chapter 8, verse 27 and following, uh, Solomon said this, he says, When he prepared the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above, when he strengthened the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit so that the waters would not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him as a master craftsman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him. Who is he talking about? Christ. How about over in John chapter 8, uh, the same gospel that we're talking about here, verse 58, we find these words. Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, what did he say? I am. One of the arguments that those who argue against the deity of Christ make is that Jesus himself never claimed to be God. John chapter 8, verse 58, 59 makes it quite clear. Because Jesus uses the title that was forbidden for the Jewish people to utter or to say, I am. Remember Moses on the uh, mountaintop there? As God spoke to him from the burning bush, I am that I am. Oh, by the way, I only read verse 58. How about verse 59? If indeed Jesus did not make the claim to be God, then, then why is it that the Jewish people responded as they did in verse 59? What does he say? What does it say there? Then they took up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. They understood exactly what he was saying. I am. He claimed the title. He is who he said he was. He made the claim. And in the verse that we're looking at here, in the beginning was the Word. John is, is making it clear, God is making it clear that Jesus himself was pre-existent. Pre-existent. Continue on to verse 2. He was in the beginning with God. Underline the word was. You do write in your Bibles, right? Please do. Take notes. Uh, if, if you have a scrap piece of paper, write this down. The verb was here is an imperfect active. Now, that probably means absolutely not, nothing to most of you. But what it means to those of us who understand the Greek language is this. The imperfect active indicates to us or tells us, not, indi not indicative, but tells us clearly and plainly. This is an action that goes into perpetuity, into eternity past. An ongoing action. I'll put it in the context of verse 2. He was in the beginning with God. There is no beginning. 
There's that eternality of who God is. And in verse number 2, John and God, as God gives him the words to share here, is sharing with us the fact that Jesus Christ was in eternity past. Now, I find this incredible biblical doctrinal truth that is worthy of our understanding. This is who the eternal word is. God himself. As we go down through this verse here, in verse number 1 and 2, uh, and the word was with God and the word was God. There's an expression of, of relationship here. Am I doing that? How's that? Maybe that'll be a little better. There's an emphasis here about the closest possible relationship and fellowship that existed between Christ and God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. Also, we find here the external reality. The external reality. Did I say the external reality? Let me come back to verse number one. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The emphasis here is upon, and I need to change the order of the words here because of the way it appears in the original, and that is, and God was the Word. And God was the Word. You see, I I think it's incredibly important that we take notes in our Bible so that in the future, when you come back to this verse, you can look at it and you can say, oh yeah, I remember. I don't remember the pastor's name, but I do remember him sharing with us. And God was the Word. You see, Jesus is God. There are no two ways about it. Now, I know I'm preaching to the choir here this morning, but we need to understand this because this is one of the foundational truths to John chapter 3, verse 16, and why that happens. Why is it that Easter happens? Why was it necessary, and we'll talk about this in a little bit, why was it necessary that God come to earth and be the Lamb of God to take away the sin of humanity? My sin. Because I couldn't do it myself. So he took it upon himself. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And we also know here in verse number 3 that he is the creative Word. Now, this is another one. It, again, I, I've, I've emphasized some of those pivotal doctrinal truths, and we find two of them right here in this text. Number one is the deity of Christ, and number two is the creation itself. In verse number three, it says, All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. <clears throat> two things I want you to take away from that verse. Number one is its agency, Jesus, and the finished product. Okay, the agency. I already mentioned Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was, excuse me, that's John chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Also in Psalm chapter 33, um, you could spend time just in the whole chapter. But let me emphasize verses 6 and following. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. 
He gathers the waters of the, of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the deep in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. I love going through my New Testament and spending some time just looking at how nature or creation worshipped Christ. Remember Jesus as he was with his disciples in the boat one day? Jesus was taking a nap. And a storm comes upon them. I love the narrative that unfolds there. Because there are a number of things that happen as a result. Jesus is sleeping. You've you got to get your sanctified imagination and gear here a little bit. All right, Jesus, I, I, in my mind, I see him napping at the back or at the stern of the boat. Now, it may have been the bow. That depends on your perspective. He's taking this nap. He's probably got his cloak pulled up over his shoulders. He's sleeping. Now, this is on the Sea of Galilee, and I, I want you to understand that the Sea of Galilee, uh, being the sea that it is, when a storm would come, would often t- oftentimes become quite tempestuous, quite rough. So here are the disciples with this little boat trying to cross the sea. The storm comes upon them, and it is so violent that these, some of them sailors, are afraid that they're about to die. (laughs) Get this. The God of creation is napping right there. They wake him up. Don't you care? We're all going to die. Now, in my sanctified imagination again, I, I see Jesus rising up, and he probably stretches a little bit looks at his disciples with that look of disdain. Come on, guys. You've been with me how long now and and you're afraid? And he speaks. Be still. To have been a fly on the mast that day. And to see this violent storm suddenly disappear. The clouds part. The sun shines. No wind. A glassy surface. And Jesus and his disciples. Do you think they learned something that day? You would hope so. But here's something else. Now, I don't know how you are, but for me... I learn best when I do things, when I'm involved, when I got hands-on, right? That's, that's how I learn the best. Uh, some people just learn from, from lectures. we got some college students here today. You remember college days in the lecture halls? Man, I remember Chem 101. Metallurgical engineering was my, my, my major up at Michigan Tech. And I'm sitting there in this chemistry class. We had three different parts. There was recitation, which is classroom. You had the lab, and then you had lecture. Lecture is probably two, three hundred kids sitting there listening to this guy talk about chemistry. Oh, how boring. Some people learn from lecture. 
Not very many, but some do. Here are the disciples in the boat. And Jesus understands. He knows what's going through their minds. That's why when you get to John chapter 14, he understood the grief that they were feeling because of the fact that he just informed them that he was leaving. I would not have your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. So here they are in the boat. And Jesus just calmed the storm. Mind you, there are two ways of sailing that boat. One is the sail and wind. Where's the wind? The storm has just been calmed. The sea is glassy. There is no wind. So they're left with the other means of propelling that boat, which is oars. No, somebody said outboard motor. Oars. Disciples sitting on those little wooden benches and pulling on those oars. You see, Jesus was helping them learn. You've just seen the miracle of the calming of the sea. Now learn. You won't forget. I don't forget when I learn by hands-on. So in John chapter three, chapter one, verse three, all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. I see Jesus interacting with his creation, not just people, but the creation itself. The agency of that creation was Jesus. At my ordination council, in fact, it was very common back in those days. That was probably a century ago. Uh, and it was a century ago. That was the 20th century. What happened, one of the questions that I was asked, and, and uh, most of the guys in my generation were asked this question, uh, explain creation to me and how the, the, the Godhead worked in that. What part did they play? And there's a very simple answer. God the Father planned it. God the Son built it. And God the Holy Spirit gave it life. One of the proof texts of, of Jesus uh, being the, the architect of putting this thing together is right here. You go over into the book of Colossians in chapter 1 in verses 15 and following, and you find these verses. He says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through Him and for Him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. I don't know if you've ever studied that verse before. Verse number 17, that, that by him all things consist. That, that phrase there is talking about the fact that, that Jesus, he built this, and he is still involved in the maintenance of that. Because this phrase means that he is keeping it all together. Now, my understanding of science is that, that, that without order, without that controlling factor being involved in science, that everything would just go into chaos. Can you imagine if all of a sudden God just took his hands off what you would look like? Man, there'll be parts of me floating everywhere. 
By him, all things consist. You see, he is not only the agency, but he's also continuing to be involved in his creation. The finished product? Understand the creation is complete. It is not an ongoing process. He continues to create things. But God is continuing to be active in his creation. Now, this, this would take us into another path here that, that is worthy of consideration at another time. Well, what about life? What about new life? What about babies? Is life at conception or at birth? Well, my Bible says that it is at conception. In fact, my Bible says that he knew me before I was in my mother's womb. That's who my God is. One of the things that makes today or any day worth being a part of, worth meeting the challenge of, worth living through, is the fact that my God built me, maintains me, loves me, enables me to be a part of it. And it all starts in the beginning. God created, in the beginning was the Word. Because my God is God. My Jesus is God. That's who He is. He's the eternal Word. He is the creative Word. He is also the incarnate Word. Verse 14, go down there. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Hmm. Over in 1 John chapter 1, John shares this. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life, The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. I need to understand that the subject, the individual who is responsible, the incarnate word, God in the flesh, God in the flesh, took upon himself the form of a man. You know, as you, if, as you study the Word of God and as you study the life of Christ, pay attention to the, the humanity that he assumed for that 33 years. He subjected himself to thirst, to hunger, to weariness, to weeping. John chapter 11, verse 33 says he groaned within He was moved, he bled, and he died. It boggles my mind. It blows me away, and it blesses my socks off to know that I have a God that loves me so much that he was willing to do that for me. For me, who did not deserve it, who did not merit it, 
but he chose. He was virgin-born, as we already talked about. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, you know that verse. He is a revealed glory in his person, in his work, and in his words. One of the things that characterizes the life of Christ is the fact that, that he chose to leave heaven. He chose to, to step out of that glorious, not existence, but that glorious presence and to come to earth. Scriptures tell us that he laid aside his glory, or he, he masked it, he, he cloaked it, so to speak. Because it was still his, he was still God. And all of what God is, he still was. But much of it was cloaked. Remember the Mount of Transfiguration? For a moment, the three disciples had the opportunity to see his glory. Remember Moses on the mountainside as he went up? He's frustrated. People of Israel are, are sinning. They, they're, they're committing idolatry. They, they've, they've crafted that, that golden calf. And Moses, in his frustration and his anger and his disappointment, goes up on the mountainside. And, and God, seeing this and recognizing, recognizing this and understanding Moses' heart, speaks to him and says, I will reveal myself to you. Do you remember Moses' response? His response was, no, don't do that because I will surely die when I see your glory. Now, I, I think there's a little bit of, uh, of lack of faith on his part. You know, if God is going to reveal himself to you, shouldn't you trust him that he's going to maintain or take care of you or, or that you're going to be better off than you were before? So God speaks to him. He understands. Hide yourself in the cleft of the rock. And as I pass by, I'll put my hand over you and you can look upon my back. You remember as Moses came down from the mountain? The people of Israel saw him. They saw his countenance. They saw the, 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 the fact that he had seen the glory of God revealed. Now if you read on in that account, you're going to find out there that Moses cloaked his countenance subsequent to that experience, not to hide the glory of God, but to hide the fact that it was fading. Jesus is revealed in his glory, in his creation. He is revealed in his works. He's revealed in his person. He's revealed in his words. Jesus was tested and tried. You're familiar with the passage. Over in Matthew chapter 4 and Luke chapter 4, we have the testing of Christ. I'm oftentimes asked, well, well Jesus is tested. The right of Hebrews, excuse me, the right of Hebrews says that he was tested as all men have been tested. But there's one big difference. Jesus is God. I'm not. And in that testing, in those, those passages there, and we won't take the time this morning to look at that, I would encourage you in, in this week, perhaps, to go back and take a look. 
But as you look at that, as you read through the account, you're going to discover that as Satan tests him, what was it that Satan used to test him? Scripture. He would quote him scripture. Now that's, that's, that's so characteristic of the culture in which we live today, is it not? People love to quote scripture and use it against us. After all, we're all hypocrites, right? So they will take a, a scripture, they'll take a verse or maybe a couple of verses and they will quote it or they'll use it as their proof text. It's exactly what the devil does. Now, if there's nothing else you learn from me, I want you to learn this. There is what is called the law of the context. The law of the context. Don't just yank a verse out of its context because we can make it say anything we want it to say. We need to pay attention to what the context says. And that's what the, the devil would, he would take those passages, he would quote them out of their context and try to get Jesus to do something that was anti-biblical and antithetical to who he was. How did Jesus deal with it? Scripture. You see, Jesus would not only take the verse that he used, but then he would expand it with the text or the context and give it right back to him. Now, there's a lesson to be learned here, and that lesson is this. We ought to be students of the word so that we know, we know when we see False prophets. We see the falsehoods that are being fed. I, I watch the news. Do you watch the news? I, I'm, I'm sick and tired of watching the news. But you know, I, I do need to know what people are saying out there. And the falsehoods that are being said, said, the spins that people are putting on things, it reminds me of Matthew 4, it reminds me of Luke 4, it reminds me of the testing of Christ and what the devil does. He takes a piece of what appears to be legitimate and truthful and then puts a spin on it that says something completely different than what God intended. That's what the devil does. We need to be students of the word so that we can tell, we can know when something is false, when something is wrong. Now sometimes we may not know the, the chapter and the verse. But there's something in you, the Spirit of God, that is telling you something is not right. My encouragement to you is one of two things, or both things. Number one, get into the Word and find out what does God have to say. And number two, seek out the pastor or your Sunday school teacher or one of the deacons. Why am I putting the deacons on a spot here? Seek out a godly individual that you can go to and say, hey, listen, this is what I heard. What do you think? Do you know that the only dumb question is the one that doesn't get asked? Find out. Because I guarantee you, the truth will always be the truth all the time. It never changes. So we have Jesus responding to the devil in two ways. Number one, he responds with Scripture. And he responds with prayer. These are the things that you and I must do as well. As we deal with life, as we deal with those who are the detractors of biblical truth, as we deal with those who deny the virgin birth of Christ, as we deal with those who deny the creation, as we deal with those who deny the deity of Jesus Christ. What does the word say? Because it will never change. 
And those, I, I, I know the Jehovah's Witnesses. <laughs> I delivered the mail. I, I took the part. Did I tell you this before? I took a part-time job with the post office. Something to keep me busy. And uh, I, I drive right past the Jehovah's Witness Church there in Mancelona. And, and they, they meet on Saturday. So here I am delivering mail on Saturday, and I'm thinking to myself, come on, folks, wake up. Jesus is God. He's not a prophet. He's not just a man. He's God. Let me give you some takeaways real quick here. Number one. As I deal with this verse 2 where he says he was in the beginning eternally past, eternally a part of the past. Now, in my finite mind, I find it difficult at times to try to wrap my mind around this. Eternity. It's impossible, folks. It is impossible for us to understand what eternity is. Because we're finite beings. And yes, I can say the word forever. But do I really understand what that means? That's what that verse 2 is talking about. And couple that with John chapter 10. In John chapter 10, in verses 28 and 29, John says, And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. One of the things I need to realize and understand is the fact that God's love for me has its roots in eternity past. He's loved me forever because he's omniscient. He knew me. He knew me. And I cannot understand that. But I can understand the fact that he loves me right now. He loves me right now. Number two, I can know God and I can know what his will is. I can know what his desire is for my life. In 1 John chapter 5, you're familiar with 1 John chapter 5 and those, wor- those, those words or those verses that talk about salvation, starting in verse number 11. The King James says, and this is the record. The New King J- James says, and this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who has not the Son of God has not life. You know those verses, right? How about verse 13? These things I have written unto you. There's that King James. These things I have written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. You see, God knew. God knew how we doubt, how we question. He wanted us to understand. You can know this for a fact. You can have absolute confidence in knowing that my love for you is absolute. You can know for an absolute fact that the eternal life that you have in my son, if you've trusted Christ, is eternal. It is never going to be lost. It is yours because of the cross and the blood of Christ. You can know it. Isn't that awesome? I mean, I find that incredible. That I can walk around in the the auditorium, I can go down. Do you have downstairs? I can go downstairs, and I'm still saved. I can go out in the parking lot, and I'm still saved. I can go into town, and I can rub elbows with the unsaved, and God still loves me. 
and I'm still saved. And I can have the absolute confidence of knowing that I am, that my life and my testimony is true. Remember in the beginning? In the beginning of this message, I shared with you, you have a testimony that is unique to you of how God has worked in your life. How God brought you to that place where you understood that without Christ you were lost, you were bound for hell, and you needed a relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, the story of Easter is not about church. It's not about Easter lilies. It's not about getting everybody together and having ham and... Is it scalloped potatoes? Whatever it is you have for our Easter dinner. It's not about any of that stuff. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not about religion. It's about a relationship. Number three. The world's theology. The world's theology is to deny the deity of Christ. I stand before you this morning absolutely, absolutely confident that what God says here is absolutely the truth. Jesus is God. No question. No doubts. And that should, that should provide me with the confidence and the courage to speak up and to make a difference. Again, this morning in Sunday school. By the way, if you don't come to Sunday school, you ought to come to Sunday school. Just some tremendous things that happen there and the fellowship that you can have there as long as Ralph doesn't tell you to sit down. You can have fellowship and enjoy one another's confidence. Oh, that too. One another's fellowship together. To hear about what God's been doing in the last week. To see God's fingerprints on somebody's life. But one of the things we, we were challenged on this morning is the fact that, uh, that because of the cross, we need to speak up. We need to share the gospel of Christ. We need to talk about the hope that dwells within us, to use the passage we looked at there today in First Peter. But let me share this with you too. Yes, it's important to open our mouths and, and have the courage to say something, but there's also another part of that package or part of the puzzle that needs to go with it. And that is to understand that, that people around us, people around us are looking at us. You know, Paul calls us a peculiar people for a reason. We're different. We're supposed to be different. And people are watching us. How we act, and that was the that was the theme here this this morning in Sunday school, uh, talking about suffering and, and the, the tragic things, the traumatic things that happen in people's lives, and, and how we deal with it, how we allow God to work in us. And one of the reasons that is is because not only because God is growing us and maturing us as a result, but also because other people are watching us. How do you tr- how do you deal with it? Did I tell you about the building of the pole barn? I'll tell you this real quick and I'll be done. My father-in-law. Uh, I, I'm fairly handy with my hands. I love to build things. I was out, this was when I was still a teenager. Uh, Kathy and I were dating at the time. 1976. I told you it was 20th century. 
1976, we were building this pole barn for my, my mom and dad. It wasn't a big one, but uh, it, was, it was a fairly good size. We're building this pole barn, and, and being the, the young strapping, or the strapping young man that I was, uh, I'm the one that got to go up the ladder into the, uh, the gable end of the, of the building and, and nail the, uh, the sheet metal on the side. I haven't told you this before. I'm, I'm nailing the sheet metal on the side. This is before the screws and the screw guns. Right? We had the, those, those rib nails with the washer, the rubber washer on it. So I'm up on the ladder, and they feed this piece to me, and I get it into position. I've got my hammer hanging in my, my hammer holder, and I've got my pouch of nails, and I grabbed a nail, and I held it up there, and I pulled my hammer out, and I reached back. And you know how anybody ever built pole barns before like this? You have to seat that nail really well. If you just get up there and you go, tink, 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 it's not going to go in. You have to take that hammer and you have to go, poof, pop it through the metal. Well, I did. But I didn't hit the right nail. I hit a different nail. My father-in-law was holding the, uh, the ladder below us, below me. Now, understand, my parents and Kathy's parents are both unsaved. And my father-in-law is down there, and he's holding that ladder. I hit my thumb. Now, needless to say, oh, by the way, the metal didn't go falling because I was leaning up against it. Needless to say, I let go of the nail. It did not seat. It fell. And, and I took my hammer, and I dropped it in the hammer holder, and I went, ow! My father-in-law, unsaved pagan man that he is, he looked up at me, and he said, I wonder what you people said. <laughs> you see, in their mind, they have their mindset of what that kind of thing should have been responded with. I just said, ow. People are watching us. How we act, what we say under different circumstances. And most of the time, you never know it until the day comes and they come to you and they ask you, how do I deal with this? Pray for me. Or tell me about this Jesus because I want to hear. God made a difference in my life. He's made a difference in yours. And the deity of Christ, who he is, should motivate me and give me the confidence to live and to share the good news of Jesus Christ. I told you I was going to share with you that last verse of John chapter 20, verse 31. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. A verse worthy of committing to memory the theme of this gospel. We have the good news. Let's live it. Let's share it. Let's make a difference. Paul shared with you that's coming up on Easter. A number of ministries are going to be happening. People are going to be invited to come. Don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid. Ask your neighbor. Ask your family. Ask your coworker to come. Hey, how about the one in the grocery line? Come to church with me on Sunday. I'd love to have you be there with us. Share the good news. And if you're uncomfortable with it, bring them to where they can hear the good news of Christ. Amen?
Father, thank you for our time together this morning. Thank you for the kind patience of your people. Lord, I pray that in the days ahead and the week that is before us, that you will use us in a dynamic and tremendous way to be a testimony for Christ. May his deity, may his godhood be visible in us, not because of us. In fact, God, I pray that you would help us get out of the way and let them see you. God, use us, enable us to accomplish your purpose and your task. We ask in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen.